All right. Well, I just want to let you know that your peer pressure has worked on me. Oh. Yeah. We drink it on this podcast today, baby. Yeah. <laughs> I am pumped. Granted, it's just White Claw, but still. Oh, that, <laughs> that's that's uh, that's exactly what you need right now. It's the summer. Yeah. It's the summer. The white claws for the braise. What's the? <laughs> what do they say? White white claw. Uh, there's no laws when you're drinking the claws. That's what it is. That's what it is. <laughs> See, all I said was white claw, and you knew exactly what I meant. I knew exactly. Yeah. That's why we're friends. That's why we're. Why we have a podcast. <laughs> Welcome to Bromancing the Stone. It's the podcast for myself, Renee Sanchez, and my good buddy, Max Lyon. What up? Watch Rob Gobbs and then record our thoughts and share them with you, the people, the tens of tens of listeners on the internet for your listening pleasure. And Max, how are you doing this fine Saturday night? I'm fantastic. I'm sipping my sangria. I just had an edible. I'm good. I'm ready to roll. Nice. How about you? Doing well. I'm sipping on some white cloths tonight. <laughs> so by yeah, podcast. It's summer. About damn yeah. time you're drinking. <laughs> and uh, I'm drinking the uh, the uh, the flavor the number twos. Uh, I forget what they call them, uh, but they came out with new flavors this past spring. Oh, these are the new ones. Yeah. So, How are they? I mean, the watermelon is top notch. Ooh. Um, yeah, watermelon's easily the best that they've ever made. Um, and then the mango is pretty damn good too. Tangerine and lemon are, you know, they're they're fine. <laughs> but yeah. yeah. Um, damn, yeah. the mango just, sounds really good too. Yeah, just doing what I can to, you know, provide a little light in my life amongst these, you know, harsh realities of life. You mean the harsh realities of uh, not being able to take our white claws to the beach where they uh, belong? That and also just the harsh realities of systemic injustice to minorities. And that too. Everything else. So, Slightly yeah. harsher reality, yeah. Yes. Um, but we did watch a rom-com, an actual rom-com, one that actually had rom and com. You know what? It. Well, not just calm. Uh, <laughs> uh, we watched Sabrina, and it was my choice this week. Um, we watched the in the one in the film that we're going to focus on is the 1954 original version. Uh, although there's another one. There's a remake from 1995 that stars Julia Ormond. Which I, who I mistakenly said at the end of the last podcast, it was Julia Binoche. I always get them mixed up, so I apologize for that. But Julia Ormond, who uh, uh, you might know her as the the mother to uh, the the French girl, French Canadian girl. She was the French mother who ends up with Roger Sterling at the end of Mad Men. Anyway. Jesus, I was like, where are you, like... I, I know, shush, shush. <laughs> uh, 
I've only had half a white claw. All right. Uh, <laughs> All right. Yeah. Let's get the six pack uh, out. Let's go. <laughs> um, but also has Harrison Ford and Greg Kinnear. Uh, and Greg Kinnear plays David and Harrison Ford plays Linus. But the original version, which is what we're focusing on here, uh, stars uh, Humphrey Bogart as Linus. Audrey Hepburn as Sabrina and William Holden as David. And we'll go further into the stats here. Dear so. David. <laughs> Sabrina. It was also called Sabrina Fair or La Vie en Rose in the United Kingdom. Uh, is a 1954 American romantic comedy film directed by Billy Wilder, who also produced it and adapted it for screen along with uh, Samuel A. Taylor, and Ernest Lehman. Um, and it was adapted from Samuel A. Taylor's 1953 play, Sabrina Fair. Mm. So, this is... So it was a play? Why, yes. And the reason why it feels so... Yeah, so structured and so... And there's so much going on and so yeah. many parts moving is because it was adapted from a play. That actually and makes so, a lot of sense. Yes. Uh as I mentioned, the picture stars Humphrey Bogart, Audrey Hepburn, and William Holden. Uh, and this film was selected for preservation in the United States National Film Registry by the Library of Congress in 2002. Hmm. Uh, the movie was released only, like it had a premiere in Toronto on September 3rd in 1954. And then it was released in New York and Los Angeles on September 23rd, 1954. But it there wasn't really a nationwide release for this movie. So as far as like the box office, it's based off of rentals and, and like everything else that happened there. So, okay. Yeah. Uh, but the budget of the film was 2.2 million. So in 1954, well, did it make it the box office off of like rentals, just people watching it at through whatever way they could watch it. Kind of like movies are being watched in quarantine. Yeah, really. Um, how much did it? How much did it spend? Uh, uh, the budget was two point two million. I want to say it made ten million. Uh, I made four million, but yeah, along the So, I mean, with taking that in for inflation, that's a pretty solid take. Um, when you take into account how how it was released and everything. Uh, and then the running time for this film, I forgot to ask. Uh, what do you think the running time is? Um, hour 50. Close. Hour 53. 113 minutes. Mm. Yes. Okay. It, it is a bit longer, but that's because, as I mentioned, you know, adapted off of a play. So it is. Usually yeah. The pace of it is hour. very slow. <laughs> Yeah. Comparatively to movies today, anyway. Like, <laughs> oh, my God. I was noticing yeah. that. Like, the way she walked across, like, her bedroom at first. <laughs> she walked to her rocking chair. I'm like, just walk over there and sit the fuck down. What are you, why are we taking 15 minutes here? <laughs> and then uh, the, the movie was number one at the U.S. box office for two weeks. So... Really? Yeah, so it was a success at the time, even though it didn't, doesn't look like it made a ton of money, but that's because it's from 54. 
But there wasn't a nationwide release? Um, yeah, I'm assuming because, like, it was, it opened in New York and LA. So I'm not sure if it, like, played in, you know, little theaters in Iowa and Nebraska, or even if those places had theaters at the time. Like, I'm not sure how (laughs) movies were distributed at that, at that time. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. I don't know either. Yeah, there's a whole thing there but um also uh, rotten tomatoes out of uh, i believe 39 reviews it's either 37 or 39 reviews uh what do you think rotten tomatoes score is for this movie oh i don't even know what to guess anymore with them. <laughs> like um well i would guess they would give it a 90 percent 92 percent Yep, there it is. Fucking yeah, so. weird motherfuckers. <laughs> the critics basically all say, you know, for it's not necessarily reinventing the wheel, but it's Humphrey Bogart and Audrey Hepburn, and both of them perform extremely well. They do. Especially so, Audrey Hepburn. My God. Yeah. yeah, she is enchanting. We'll talk about her very shortly. Um, and then one other thing I want to talk about, kind of a like a mini tasty tidbits here off of the Ooh. Wikipedia page. Um, Initially, Cary Grant was considered for the role of Linus, but he declined. Oh. So, so Bogart took it. And then during production, uh, Audrey Hepburn and William Holden entered a brief but passionate love affair. Ooh. Uh, yes. Uh, so Bogart originally wanted his wife, Lauren Bacall, to be Sabrina. And he complained that Hepburn required too many takes. To get her dialogue right, <laughs> and pointed out her inexperience because at the time she was an inexperienced actress um, of twenty-four. You know, her age was twenty-four at the time of filming. Hmm. Um, and uh, Bogart was basically unhappy during the filming because he felt he was totally wrong for this kind of film, and he was mad at not being the first choice, and he didn't really like Holden or Wilder, and he wasn't happy with Audrey Hepburn's casting. <laughs> uh, but but Wilder somehow got a that performance out of him despite all that, and then Bogart later apologized to Wilder for his behavior on set, citing problems in his personal life. Uh, and then the biggest thing that I want to bring up here, uh, Wilder began shooting before the script was finished. What? And Layman, who was the other, the third man in there, so Wilder Taylor Taylor is the one who wrote the play. Wilder's the director and the producer, and then Ernest Lehman, the third one, he was writing pages as they were filming. <laughs> so, so basically, event, <laughs> eventually they would, or Lehman, or Lehman was writing all day to complete it. Eventually, he would finish a scene in the morning, deliver it during lunch, and the filming of it would begin in the afternoon. My God, that sounds like a terrifyingly toxic work environment well that's how a lot of movies were done uh casablanca was also done in the same fashion they did not have an ending for that film when they started filming that movie what is it with humphrey bogart movies i don't know and then humphrey bogart still somehow pulls out performances that are like classic they're like we've got we've got humphrey bogart we don't actually need a script yeah yeah 
Like the whole right. reason people are watching the movie is because of him anyway. So yeah, they're just like, hey Humphrey, here's what this scene is. All right, I got it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you don't know what happens to your character at the end or what this all means in the grand scheme of things. Uh, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> just, just tell me when to start acting. <laughs> How old is Casablanca? Casablanca came out, I believe, in 1941. Okay, so so this is... I, I thought Humphrey Bogart was a little bit older in this movie. Yeah. Uh, this is actually three... or uh, It comes out three years before his death. He dies in 57. Ooh, really? Yeah. He was also born in 1899, so... Well, there you go. Yeah, it got the block it came out in 1942. Um, 1899? Oh my yes, god. He, he fucking fought in World War One. Alright. <laughs> <laughs> so. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> um, the whole May-December romance that they have going on in this film is truly the case when it comes to the case of Hepburn and Bogart. Yeah. Um, but... Wow, so he got to fight alongside he got to fight alongside Snoopy. (laughs) God, that's a corny ass joke. (laughs) Dad Um, jokes. But yeah, I I chose the film myself because I remember like I, I mentioned in the last podcast and I mentioned it before. Uh, my mom didn't believe in babysitters. She just took me to the movies mm-hmm. uh, along with her. If she wanted to see a movie, I was going with her. Um, so she wanted to go see Sabrina, the remake, in 95. So I remember sitting through that movie at seven years old, almost eight, not understanding a fucking word that was happening. It was just because just this movie, there's a lot going on in this movie. There's a whole lot of moving parts. But if you're not paying attention, you're not interested in it. It could you could get lost real fast. That is true. Um, and so I just I remember the film. I just remember, and I remember the remake. And I was just like shrugging and just kind of sitting in my seat and slumped and waiting for it to be over, sort of thing. Um, but I remember that film. I remember the name and everything else yeah. going on with yeah. it and things. Um, and then uh, I. In college, I found Casablanca. I watched Casablanca for the first time freshman year of college because it was a rainy day. There was literally nothing to do. I didn't have any homework because it was like the beginning of winter term. Yeah. And I went to Hamilton to get some food. Remember going to Hamilton? Yes. Yeah. And then as I was about to leave the the uh like the desk near the mailboxes was open and you could rent a movie for a day they had a shit ton of dvds they could rent a dvd for the night and then just bring it back the next day okay and i was looking at their list and i was just like let me just find a movie and just watch it on my tv you know it was just i don't know something to do today or today and i saw casablanca on the list and I was like, huh, you know what? Let's watch that film. And I knew of it, but I didn't really know a lot about it. And you know, then, we didn't watch Casablanca tonight, right? Sh- sh- shut your mouth. All right. This is, this is all coming together here. Okay? Is it? 
Yes. So I watched Casablanca, and it, it be, I was immediately enamored with it. It became my favorite movie. I sure. was just like, that's, that's my favorite movie. So with that, I then began like this kick of, well, if that old movie was so great, what other old movies are great? That, you know, and so I started trying to like seek out old movies to watch and everything else like that. And then randomly I was at a Walmart and I saw like the like $3, $4 DVD bin or whatever. Yeah. And Sabrina, the original, was in that bin. And I was like, that's about the price of a rental. Fuck it. I'm going to buy it and I'll go watch it at home. I know of the name. I kind of remember the original. I like Humphrey Bogart, obviously. I've heard Audrey Hepburn's pretty great. Let's watch this film. And that's how I watched this film for the very first time. And I immediately enjoyed the hell out of it. And I've rewatched it multiple times since. And I still have that DVD to this day. That was a riveting story. Thank you. So (laughs) that was part of why I chose this film. Because it was just, it's, I feel like it's a forgotten classic of the black and white times. There have been some rare finds in those uh, Walmart DVD bins, though. I, yeah. I forgot about those. Do yeah, they still have those like, things? I mean, I doubt it. I doubt they even spend money on DVDs at this point. Yeah. Why would they, why would they spend money to try to sell it? Like, I think God, those are the days. $15. But yeah, uh, did you have any memories? Well, I don't I know this is your first time watching it, Max, but do you have any like memories of seen Bogart or Hepburn in like previous films or um, thoughts coming in? I've always liked her in My Fair Lady. That's always okay. my, my go-to that I, I think of. Um, I think I've seen her in a couple other movies, but not obviously not enough to even remember what they were. But um, yeah, I've always thought that she was a pretty good actress from that era and I don't think I've ever seen. I don't know that I've consciously ever seen Bogart. I mean, I've seen him in like clips of Casablanca and everything, but yeah, uh, yeah, I don't I think mean, I've ever seen him in the movie. That's understandable because a lot of his, like, besides like Casablanca and Sabrina, and then uh, later the African Queen, like besides those films, everything else was kind of like this hard-boiled detective. Oh, well, he's got that vibe. Yeah. Like the Maltese Falcon is one of his famous ones that I remember seeing in a class. Oh, yeah. Um, And uh, like, yeah, it was just. And honestly, I like him better in like, like being the the man character in a romantic comedy. There's a lot of vulnerability in him that's really nice to see beyond his gruff exterior. I understand how his gruff exterior works for those hard-boiled detective movies. Yeah. But it really works. That exterior really works when the vulnerability kicks in in these romance movies that he's been. And that's why yeah. is so great, and that's why I like his performance in this. I definitely personally would have preferred Cary Grant now that you mentioned that he was... <laughs> <laughs> I disagree. And because the initial thought... We, we, know, we know you disagree because you love well, Bogart. Yeah, but I also disagree because of who Cary Grant is. Like I, like a movie that we'll see with him in it, uh, The Philadelphia Story. We'll, we'll get to that one later on because that's another movie I like. Another older movie. 
Um, and with another Hepburn in it, although that one had Catherine. Um, but he he plays the gruff exterior there in that one, but he does it with like this kind of sly grin, like everyone's in on the joke sort of thing. I don't think that works with Linus as a character. Like Linus is putting up this front, but like he's almost like a robot and the ro- like a robot who kind of gets deprogrammed. And I feel like Bogart plays that like very stiff, like that stiff. Yeah. Like, the, the, level, the guarded, uh, yeah. The guarded exterior. Yeah, because Cary Grant, you just every time you see him on the film, you're just like, oh, Cary. <laughs> just even if he's trying to, even if he's a dick, you're just like, oh, but it's Cary though. <laughs> like, That's true. And I think that'd be hard to play the first half of this film with that. I mean, I know they they played at the the age gap. They yeah. played that up in the movie as well. They acknowledged it. I just yeah. he was not believable for me. I just thought it was like. I, I don't mind Bogarts at all. And mm-hmm. from what I have seen of him, I think he's a great actor. I just hated him in this as a casting choice. Like, like I get that they're going for an older guy with Bogarts like charisma and like, mm-hmm. you know, closed up exterior, but it was just, it was weird. It was awkward. Oh God. It was made so much awkward by why did he keep saying it's all in the family? Yeah, well, what? Ah! The fuck? <laughs> yeah, that's... stop saying it. It's creepy. I mean, <laughs> we'll get to that a little more when we get to the kiss of the movie. Jesus, um, I, I agree with you hundred percent on that, though. Um, that that didn't even said nearly as much. Um, I as far as. That's the biggest thing. I think that's the first thing that we should just focus on because it's the biggest thing that comes through on screen is... What? The age? Age difference, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, at the time of, the of like, the movies set in, it's not as bad or as frowned upon, but it's still pretty... Like, what the fuck sort of thing. Like, you know, in the 50s, it wasn't as... Like, if there was a, you know, an older man who ends up with a younger lady. Right, like, right. I mean, fuck, it still happens today. Like, how many second yeah. married guys in their 40s ending up with girls in their 20s? Like, yeah. My dad did it. <laughs> there you go. So, I mean, it, it's never not awkward. <laughs> but yep. I feel like this especially this viewing and I've viewed it multiple times. I've watched this film multiple times. And despite the fact that I've enjoyed it, I've never 100% liked the age difference. I yeah. just like performances. This one, I kind of saw the, the people that the characters are as opposed to their age. Okay. And especially Linus is hum- like Humphrey Bogart that, this whole thing he mentions like on the boat that there's been, you know, ties before where he opened himself up to love or he opened himself up to happy and he got hurt. And so his reaction was to block himself off 
devote himself to work and run the family business. And now all his energy goes towards the family business. And, you know, and Audrey Hepburn is kind of, she has to kind of grow up, obviously, in that she's, extre- she extremely overacts to David being with someone. And so she tries to commit suicide by turning on eight cars in a garage. Yeah, like, what the fuck? That's your choice of a way out? That's a, that is, if we're going to, like, if you like to bring up how high schoolers make stupid decisions, that's a very 18-year-old decision right there. Yes. <laughs> it's a very 18-year-old decision. <laughs> I just can't live anymore. Fuck everything. I'm dying. Yeah. And the, what like, kind of suicide note is that, too? I hope you forgive me for what I'm about to do. P.S. Don't have David at the funeral. Like It's... It's attention grabbing. She's just exactly for attention because she's exactly. She has to grow up, and so it takes going to Paris for two years and meeting a seventy-four-year-old who's taking a cooking class to grow up and uh, and basically become this woman. And so now the two years in Paris is supposed to magically bring her to this lofty woman who knows so much about the outside world but still has so much to learn about the inside world in a way yeah that's where and that's where her and linus fit how they could kind of show each other like they're both aladdin in this situation they can show each other the world (laughs) they're different worlds (laughs) and i i am about finish with my first white claw. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I saw that connection in this viewing of the film. I don't know is is that something you might have seen as well or? Um, well, I definitely see what you mean. I, I I have noticed when I do that with movies too. Actually, that you try to. In fact, actually, that's something I've done with a lot of the movies that we've talked about seeing when we were younger Mm -hmm. and now we're watching as 32 year old adults. Yeah. I definitely have noticed the way I I read the characters differently. And that's the easily the biggest way where you see them as the people that they are or like Mm -hmm. imagine them in the real world. Because you can actually, you can actually put yourself in their situations. Exactly. Yeah. Imagine that situation. Exactly. So, um, Got a kid. What flavor this time? Uh, we're going lemon. We're gonna just yeah. get it okay. out of the way. All right, let's let's hear it. Let's hear the sip. It tastes like freedom. It, <laughs> yeah, it, it legit tastes like a Sprite two liter that you forgot to put back in the fridge. Is it? I mean, did you forget to put it in the fridge? No, no. That like that's just the taste of this one. Oh. Like, you know when you get, like, a Sprite? Like, uh, you've already opened the Sprite from, like, a dinner previous, and then the next day you pull it out, you pour yourself a glass, and then you just forget to put it back in the fridge, and then six hours later you're just like, oh, shit. And so, like, the next time you taste it, it's kind of, it's just flatter because it didn't go back in the fridge. Yeah. That's what this White Claw tastes like. So it's flat. It's It's still good, but it's just, like, it tastes like that. It's not that it is flat. It just tastes like that. 
Ladies and gentlemen, that is Renee's review of the <laughs> Lemon White Claw. Next week. You're welcome. <laughs> next week, we'll be doing the Mango White Claw. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking next week, in the next 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> you 20, under- minutes, okay. 20 minutes for 12 milliliters or 12 liters. Wait, what is it? 12. What is it? Ounces? Well, fluid ounces. ounces. The Jesus. fuck you think this is? You think we're know. the metric system? I don't know. We should be. <laughs> I mean, we're not in Canada. Well, are we? Are we the only country left that has imperial? I think someone else does, but I can't think of it. Probably like, I don't know, Puerto Rico or something. um yeah the but as far as the film um the oh right yeah that (laughs) That thing thing. um i thought audrey hepburn what were we even talking about oh yeah we're talking about hepburn and and bogart and the just the age difference but the one thing i didn't I've, i've never bought in this film and even in the remake is David and Sabrina. I've just never once did I feel like he was truly like love struck by her just from one look. No, I certainly didn't get that from this either. Yeah. It's just, it's just straight up. I mean, you just have to really play up the fact that he's a quote-unquote player and that's just straight-up poonhoundery that he just wants to get into this, get into the pants of this really pretty girl. Yeah. Like, that's it. And that's all it is from his side. And she's been hung up on him her whole life. But at the same time, I think they also play it well where she gets over it and she realizes what, like, the depth of love and fondness is with Linus. And she realizes what she liked about David was just what everyone likes about David. He's gregarious. He's charismatic, but he's, he's good looking, but at the same time, it's all shallow stuff. Yeah. Once she, she kind of gets over it, but that doesn't make the dance scene any less awkward. Yes. Like, just Wait, like, at the tennis courts? No. Um, well, I'm talking about the first half of it when he sends his fiance away so he could dance with Sabrina. Oh, God. that Honestly, that entire segment of the movie is so <laughs> fucking awkward. It's just, I'm sitting there getting ulcers just waiting for the fiance to come back and the <laughs> amount of explanation that is going to need to go into this. And I'm yeah. already like, I'm already thinking ahead, conjuring up like, what the fuck are you possibly going to come up with, dude? Like, what do we got here? What are our options? And I'm not coming up with anything. And I'm like, she's on her way back. Like, you know, she's on her way back by now. And yeah. like, I was having like mini panic attacks over here. Like, dude, what are you doing? And I think that goes to uh, Samuel A. Taylor as a playwright. It goes to his, you know, solid bones that he gives within this Bones. Oh, that's a very, <laughs> that's, that's a very 
you know, stage play type of direction where it's just like, oh my God, like this is going tits up. She's going to come back from at any moment sort of thing. And so you're just, you're at the edge of your seat. And then as she's about to come in, then here comes Linus swooping in to dance with the fiance. And then she and it passes her off to someone else so that she doesn't see him dancing with Sabrina that much. Yeah. What is with Linus just swooping in and taking David's girls? <laughs> well, uh, it's because he's trying to get a merger for the plastics. So really, Linus is the real player here. <laughs> well, he's a business player. He, you know, he plays that business. <laughs> it's business time. Plays the stocks. Plays the market. Right. There we go. Yeah. Um, no, because... Well, he swoops in and dances with her so that she doesn't see David with Sabrina. I, I know, but I'm just saying. Yeah, I know. And then, like, I just like that he, how quickly on his feet he thinks. Like, he, he figures out he needs to dance with her to keep her away. He notices David's got the champagne glasses in his back pocket, tells him to sit down. Like, which was a funny scene. That was pretty funny. Um, and they brought it back yeah. with the olives of the dad. Yeah. And then the olives at the end with the dad. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's, yeah, it's just, he's obviously a very intelligent man. They play that up. And it's just like, as a protagonist male character, having that, you know, is, is always a good thing. Um, I, I just liked how they directed that all out. And then, you know, he goes to the tennis courts to, I don't know what he does. He he goes there to run interference, which is what she she expects, and then they end up dancing, and he ends up telling her five million times, "It's all in the family. It's all in the family." Like as he puts his hand around her waist and shit, and it's like, dude, stop! It's making it creepier. Yeah, he's sure. It's almost as if he is relishing his opportunity even for a moment to be David. Like he's never David. He's never mm, the one. Who, fuck that's, off. That's an interesting take. Yeah. He, he finally gets a chance to woo a lady, even though he didn't necessarily woo this lady. doesn't make it any less creepy whatsoever. Like it's already a creepy moment that you're hitting on. You're not hitting on her, but like <laughs> you're, yeah, like you said, kind of taking advantage of the moment of the, um, you know, taking taking advantage of the opportunity. Yeah, uh, of your brother. I and, mean, and then you keep pointing it out, like. Well, it's someone he technically knows in Sabrina, so I think that kind of gives him the. That doesn't make kind it of less creepy. It, it, it gives him like the, and then also, you know, technically he does offer her money to leave so i mean this is something that he's done before with other women so because that makes it better no it it just makes it uh, it it just kind of gives a little more credence to why he's acting the way he's acting why he's saying the way the things he's saying yeah Um, you know it's still creepy yeah it's totally It's still not great to hear all in the family, all in the family, all in the family. God. Throughout the whole thing. But, yeah, you kind of get why. Um, I mean. But. 
we'll we'll talk more about the movie, but do you, we can just grade the kiss right now because the kiss happens early in the film, and it's the only kiss that happens between the two protagonists. Um, don't they have a kiss later? I don't think so. No, I guess they don't. No, like it's all a lot of hugs. Yeah, you're they right. You're right. They don't kiss on the boat at the end. They don't kiss when she thinks he's going to go with her on the boat, which we'll talk about that scene. Um, yeah, you're right. Kiss they have. What would you think of it? I thought the kiss itself was well done. Like, as far as, like, the meeting of mouths and everything else like that, like, technically, it was just two actors providing a very good film kiss. Um, I thought her look... <laughs> on her face afterward was very funny and like in the very shocked, like the whole, what the fuck just happened? Sort of look on her face was very, it was played for comedy and I thought it was played well. Um, the whole all in the family thing on the other hand, is yeah, not dude. a good setup for the whole kiss thing. So um, I would give it a B minus and it's just because of just the situation itself. But as far as like the yeah. actual kiss, technically nice and then the reaction from her was pretty fun as well and it, and it sets up uh you know what happens in the future between the two well that's true i personally would give it a d yeah for an i mean an older movie like it's just not going to do it for me they're pressing two faces against each other like they might as well not even be trying and there's like barely a kiss and then he fucking ruins it even further with the goddamn creepy line. But I did love her face, her reaction after that. I mean, mm-hmm. she just, she fucking killed it. Like the fact that you said that she was an under or unexper- inexperienced actor compared to Humphrey Bogart. Yeah. Like that, he, that he makes it even that much more impressive. Yeah. And, I thought a lot of the humor was just really good in this film. Like from the subtleties of like reactions like that to like the broad humor, like the sitting on the glasses, sitting on the olives. Um, My favorite gag is when he's talking to David and he brings the secretaries in to stand on the plastic. (laughs) I did like that. Yeah. And then he pushes him up there with him. And then like, and then there a close second is when he brings in the plastic hammock with the hole for <laughs> for David's ass. Like there's there's some really good broad slapstick gags in this film. There, there were. There were some good jokes. And, yeah, some really good jokes, and it's just you know, that was something I you know, I it's just a, like Audrey Hepburn's reaction to the kiss. I thought was just like another one of those type of moments there. Um in the remake uh, as, as well, Harrison Ford only says all in the family once. That's better, but yes, like still creepy. <laughs> um, I think he says it's all in the family right before they start dancing. Uh, okay. Does- well, that context is a little bit better, but yeah. yeah. But then he does say he has one more thing from David. And then he goes in for the kiss. So God, that's that, so yeah. creepy. <laughs> it 
it's a scene that's necessary, but it's just not written very well. Oh. I'm blamed on the fact that they are writing the script the day of fucking filming. Probably, Definitely. yeah. You know, there's a way to probably write that better if you take some fucking time, but they're writing it as of, as they're filming it, and so... Yeah, it's fucking three a.m. and they're still writing. Oh, we got we get we need a line for this. It's all in the family. Ooh, oh, that's man. good. No, uh, sleep on that shit. <laughs> Do we have time to revise it? No. How many times I say all in the family? I don't know. Fuck. All right. <laughs> God. <laughs> oh, you're so fucking right. That's exactly the fucking like. If they had just taken a few days to. Yeah, to read the script a bit. But, you know, what's crazy about it, though? It still kind of comes off okay because it's Humphrey Bogart and Audrey Hepburn acting it out. That's true. And they do their best with it, as they do throughout the film. Like, they God. they do a really good job with the sailing scene to start building the foundation of their romance. Oh, yeah, um, that was a good scene. She starts, she starts seeing him in a different light as, you know, he explains how he's kind of you know, been he, he's been burned by love before, and he just you know has haunted really, past. Yeah, here's a haunted past. They don't go into specifics though, because once again, they're writing the script as they're filming it. <laughs> it's just there's a haunted past. We don't need to go into specifics, but uh, something something haunted past. All right, <laughs> go ahead and give it to the director. It was probably literally in the script. It was just like the bracket parentheses. It just says haunted past. And Bogart's like, all right, we're winging this shit. I got, I got some lines. I'll figure it out. I got some lines. I got, I got something to say. <laughs> like, there's so many things in this film for as, like, as much as they fucking shove into an hour and 53 minutes. There's so many things in this film where they just, like, leave it unsaid. You know what, like, you know what never gets said between uh, Linus and Sabrina? Did they actually I like each you. other? Yeah, they never yeah. say I love you, either, like, either side. Uh, you know, when love actually gets brought up, at the very end of the film, when Humphrey Bo- or when Linus finally tells David that he's going to put David's name on the ticket, when David shows up to the office the day of the whole, the climax there. Oh yeah, and that's what David says. Blowed up a whole twenty million dollar deal for me for, like, blowed up a whole twenty million dollar deal over this. I think you're in love with her. Like, or whatever he says in the line. But that's the first time love is ever mentioned between Linus and Sabrina. And that Jeez. shit's about 15 minutes to the end. It's well, just... different times, man. Like, we saw yeah. we saw similar things with, uh, what was it? Um, it happened uh, one night. One night. Yeah. Remember? We were saying the same things. Yeah. There wasn't even a kiss in that film. I wonder, like, okay, do you think... Do you think that's just a sign of like how movies were made, or do you think that's really how people acted back then? I think it's a mix of both. I, I think it's a matter of one: movies were made that way as far as like scripts could be written, especially because you know the way contracts worked at the time. Studios, the studios themselves are the ones who hired, you know the the talent and so the studios 
weren't these big corporations who were trying to like, you know, just mine any sort of material from people. They basically said, I have you, you've made successful films before. I need you to give me another film here in three months. Hmm. It's like we have this, we have this play I bought. I bought this play. I have the rights to it for a year and six months have already passed. Make a film out of it. You know, that, that was just, and they would just kind of pass it off to whoever they, whosoever contract they owned at the time. So Paramount owned it Wilder. It's actually Wilder's last film under the Paramount contract. So they basically were just like, Hey, we have this play work with the playwright, work with Ernest Lehman and make a film. And this will be your, and then we'll work on a contract afterward or whatever. And Wilder didn't re up with them. Hmm. Um, and so I think that's it's also that's, so weird to think about. That's yeah. Cause now it's just a matter of like, there's agents involved and agents are working out deals. So there are deals amongst, you know, talent and, and like studios, but at the same time, these studios are now big corporations with multiple arms. So there's a deal with NBC universal who's under the, you know, the Xfinity brand, like they're the ones who own them. And then NBC universal also expands the USA network also expands. Like they have a Spanish network. They have, you know, they have a sports they have all these different networks. So it's just like you create this show and this show could go to one of multiple places or you create this movie and it could, you know, it'll be distributed by universal, but at the same time, when they have so much under their umbrella that they don't necessarily need you to do this in three months time. Right. Right. It's not their only source of income. Exactly. They're making so much income that they don't, that there's no, not as much of a rush. Um, and that's where you see things like people have filmed something, there's stuff in the can and then they're still trying to figure out when to release it. And then the other thing, the second half, like as I mentioned, it's both parts were, how they made films, but also we're still in the age of, you know, men with a stiff upper lip sort of thing. You know, there's, we're still at an age of men don't show their feelings. True. Alongside this, there's also Westerns are very popular still at this time. Yeah. Still like a thing, you know? So there's still a lot of that aspect of it. So there isn't a lot and men are, primarily the ones making these films. So it, it, like there's a lot of kind of second nature. You, you get it. Sort of idea where it's just, which is yeah. just how men sometimes share the feelings. Like, you know, you know what I mean? Like, there's a lot of that. Don't make me say it. You know, I, you don't need me to say it. I don't need <laughs> fucking, it's like a joke that George Lopez had where he's like, hey, did we go to Red Lobster or not? And did I use the coupon? There you go. Now you know how I feel. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, you know, there's, it's just one of those things. So I think it's a mix of both. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. You're probably right. It's still, it's just, it's weird whenever we watch old movies like this to think of stuff like that. That I always like, like you said, you put yourself in the shoes a little bit now. Mm-hmm. But then when we watch older movies like that, I, I put, I try to put myself in the time period too, and it's, it's always a trip. Yeah, because like we're two grown men sitting here with a podcast about <laughs> romantic comedies, 
where we yeah. talk about not only stereotypically girly movies, yeah, but then we talk about our feelings as related to those movies. So, <laughs> yeah, fifties men would look at us and go, "What the fuck am I seeing?" <laughs> That's so true. They would, and they'd also probably call us homosexuals. Probably, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad we moved past that period then. Yes, I agree. So what you're saying is men can actually have emotions now. Look at that. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, as soon as we get these baby boomers out of here, then fucking we'll be free to implement that into other aspects of life that will hopefully improve the quality of life and, you know, not lead to fucking protests in the streets, you assholes. Or climate change, or, or a lot of things. Um, lot of things. <laughs> like, literally, we could finally start fixing a lot. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, I. Uh, I love. This is just a random stray thought, but do as it, we do can it. Movie, I love "La Vie on Rose" as a song. Oh, God, I'm glad you brought that up. I fucking loved it, too. Not just the choice in this film. I just love this song. It's a great song. Yeah. I, I And I just love its use in anything romantic. Yep. It's beautiful. One, one of the re, re, few redeeming qualities of uh, How I Met Your Mother was it, in season nine uh, was its use of La Vie en Rose in the 200th episode which is called How Your Mother Met Me. Oh, it yeah. Shows, it shows what the mother had been doing the whole nine years. Right. Up and she had just broken up with someone serious, and she's sitting on her balcony playing her ukulele, singing La Vie on Rose. And it sounds very twee and very like, ugh, like, like a little like Zoe Deschanel-ish. Like, fucking... Yeah. It fucking comes off at Deary because it's Christine Meliotti, who's a really good actress um, and and a good singer. And it and she sings it. And it's just like, yeah, I completely buy her as the mother and I'm completely in love with that character now. So let's kill her off. Yeah. That, that, as I said, one of the few redeeming qualities. Fuck that fucking ending of a show. God, anyway, moving on. Sorry. But nonetheless, I just love La Vie en Rose and the way Audrey Hepburn sings it. And because of her background, she's able to speak French. And so the pronunciation is nice. And Yeah. yeah. And, and the way she's singing it in the car ride back with, uh, with Humphrey mm-hmm. Bogart. Or no. Yeah, it was Humphrey Bogart, wasn't it? Yes. Humphrey Bogart driving it back from the play and the dancing. Yes, that's it. I was I was sitting here swooning over her for Christ's sake. Like, yeah. And then, you know, and Linus tells her he's gonna he's you know, it's her fault that he's gonna go to Paris now. And then, and immediately she's just like, "Wait, I just went on a sailing date with you, and then a nice night, and like, I want to see where the fuck this goes. Like, there's something here, and now you're leaving." And then, 
And I, I just love how she what she has David kiss her. That was a little annoying for me. Like she kept no, going back and forth between the yeah. two guys, you know? Yeah, well, she has David kiss her. I, I feel like that was more to try to remind herself, to kind of give herself like the, she was trying to convince herself, like, keep your eye on the prize. David's the one you want. David's the one you've always wanted. Oh, and, I see. And like the kiss was supposed to be the thing that reminded her and was just like, yeah, stop, stop thinking about Linus. Why are you thinking about Linus? Why would you ever think about Linus? Like this isn't supposed to be a thing. But obviously she's feeling something after the time that they spent together. True. And so she asked David to kiss her. And then when she goes to the office the next day and she calls from the downstairs, she's trying to keep herself away from Linus to fall back into those feelings that she was feeling in the car. She was feeling the night before and this love that's burgeoning in her. And, but she kind of can't because she keeps telling him, okay, I'm in, I'm in a phone booth in town, but I'm not going to tell you where. Okay, it's in the Larrabee office, but you can't come downstairs. And then, of course, he tells her to speak calmly and slowly about what she's feeling. And then he fucking goes and gets her downstairs. That was a suave-ass trick right there. Yeah, that's just like, it's like, okay, I get that you have a pass. Like, there's a pass where you betted a couple ladies. And, like, it just, yeah. Um, How about the fucking, he was on a ledge thinking about jumping after uh, oh yeah and it just i mean that in and of itself is very like emo like fuck man but at the same time that also kind of coincides with sabrina's decision to try to kill herself in the garage with the cars and it's like oh so you guys are a little more alike than you would put than like we've been led to believe (laughs) like when it comes to love i also love the the larger implication of that that you got this hardened stone of a man that is that is able to survive the harshest of business conditions and yet the thing that makes him want to end his life is love mm-hmm. god damn like yeah. like yeah that's this even dude the way pimping out his brother to to the heiress of a sugarcane <laughs> empire in order to make plastic, Which and I'm not he even could, sure you can do, but he could be undone by a girl just being like, "Nah, fuck off." <laughs> <laughs> That's nuts. <laughs> <laughs> but that's him. Dude, like that's, and that's Linus. That's dude. Love is torture, man. Love is love is easily the most powerful force in the universe. Yeah. And it, it can be a it can be a good power or a bad power. It depends on how you use that power. But it is no matter what the most powerful. Mm-hmm. It is. Oh, fuck yeah. I mean, I get it. I get it. But it's just still hilarious. Not hilarious. That's awful. But it's ironic to see a man like that. You know, a character like that. That, like you said, we're led to believe is like this, you know, immovable person. But that's life, you know? 
not everyone is cut and dry. Yeah, and this stone of a man, this supposed stone of a man is just slowly letting his walls down and to the point where he's got Sabrina hook, line, and sinker on the plan. She thinks he's going to take her to Paris with him. And it's like, and he can't bear her being hurt to the point where he tells her the plan. Yeah. He has her. He finally has her. It's completely done. She's ready to fucking join him on the boat. She's hook, line, and sinker going to be on that boat. And then he says, no, no. This is the plan. This is why I can't let that happen. Sort of thing. And that's when you finally see all the feelings and all the thoughts that they haven't written in the goddamn script because they're writing it as they're filming it. <laughs> you see it in the decisions made by the characters. You see yeah. it by him, by him telling, by Linus telling Sabrina what the plan is. You see, you see it in Sabrina like that she's now fully with Linus and doesn't care about David, in that she decides to go. That's her admission that I love you, Linus, not David. Because if this was still about David, she gave up fucking 50 grand, which is a shit ton of money at that time. Not to mention all the stocks and everything. Jesus. Well, no. Uh, Well, and she says that a second time when he says that that's what they were going to give her. But the first time in the at the tennis courts. Oh, yeah. Like she gave it up then. And it's like for David. But now it's just like, fuck your money. I'm just, I'm not interested. Like, so this is her basically admitting like, you know, this isn't about money. This isn't about anything else. This is the fact that I love you, Linus. And you lied to me. And I don't want to be around any of you motherfuckers anymore. Fuck all (laughs) y'all. She's just hurt and she's out. And it's, and so, and then of course, David's action is he shows up at the office because, you know, he see I guess he sees her when they get back. Is that when they kiss? See, that's what I was wondering. Do they kiss after that scene or? Hmm. I, I can't remember now. No, I don't think they kiss that night. I think. Um. Well, either way. Yeah, I think it was, no, it's more of a, I think she says like, oh, I, uh, I, I, I'm going to turn in tonight, like early. I think she says she's turning in early mm. and, and then David kind of catches the hit of what's going on. He, he kind of knows at that point what's going on because she's not gung ho about him. She's wanting to like go to bed instead of being, you know be with him at that moment sort of mm-hmm, thing. Mm-hmm. and so he figures out the plan and then that's when he goes into the office early for everything and then when and, <laughs> and that's when he punches linus initially oh like, right 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 fuck you linus for trying to take my girl <laughs> but at the same time i get why you did it and then when Linus tells him, well, it doesn't matter. You're the one who's going to go with her. That's what David officially knows. Oh, Linus fell in love with her. 
And what does what he say to make Linus punch him? Um, she ba- he basically mentions how she played him, like she was basically she was going after David for the money. It was just for the money, but then she saw that she could go after Linus for the money, and she just moved on to Linus. No, so but he he summed it up with something that you could tell in Humphrey Bogart's like his expression changed. I thought it was really good. Like he, uh, he's like, he's what? I can't think of the line. He's, he's getting like, you can tell he's obviously getting frustrated by all the things his brother is saying, mm-hmm. but he's mm-hmm. keeping his cool in front mm-hmm. of this boardroom of people. And he's staying professional about it and like telling, like giving him chances to back off. And then he finally says one line and Bogart's facial expression changed ever so slightly. Like that was the one that hit a nerve and it was mm-hmm. just enough of a subtle expression. And then he punched him, but it was like that moment when his facial expression changed was perfect. Cause it was like, it was something that finally clicked where we knew. And then he probably finally knew exactly how he felt about her. And if only I could actually remember, I think it was something like, uh, like belittling her to her title, like a chauffeur's daughter or something like that. He like I th- I want to say he called her a title or a name or something like that, and that's when he punched him. But either way, it was great. I thought so. Anyway, yeah, I can't think of. But the expression from it, I thought, was really good. That was actually yeah. a pretty solid scene. Yeah. Did I we did. talk? Did we talk enough about Audrey Hepburn's acting? I, I feel think, like we. I, I, I we did. mentioned how much we liked. It. Like. Yeah. She's she's think, got the most adorable eyes. Yeah. There's there's a lot of expression in her eyes. There's yeah. a lot of. There's a lot of acting without saying anything. Yes. Um, and so that's what makes her so enchanting as an actress on on screen. And that's what really helps her performance here. Especially because, once again, the script's being written as they're filming it, so they don't really <laughs> say much in the script. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they really relied on the actors in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> Just like, you got this, right? <laughs> <laughs> um and so yeah it was just her yeah her performance like i don't know it just there's no way to really ex- explain it except there's a reason why everyone knows of her and yeah. likes her yeah. and you know it was just very audrey hepburnish <laughs> like it's just you know, it was such a great performance. There's a reason she's considered one of the great actresses, especially at this time. It's just. We've watched some rom-coms recently with some really good female leads. Yes. And it really adds to the film. Too. It really does. It, and uh, yeah, this is, this is up there with the best of them. Yeah. Yeah. She really, she owned it. She did a really solid job. Yeah. I I love, like, I don't know. I just love how 
she comes in and she's like, we got crackers, sardines, you know, tomato juice, oh, tomato, yeah. juice tomato juice. And she's just like, I'm going to whip up the fucking meal out of this. Like, I got this. Like, so I just, <laughs> I just love the idea of her just cooking up a meal for the two of them. And she's going to make a souffle. And like, how the <laughs> fuck are you going to do this? Like, all right, I'm in. I, but I believe you. Like, you got this. <laughs> just, I love it. It's so nice. I just, her character is just so nice. I, yeah, I just love her character. I don't know. No, I, I completely agree. She's like, the one thing I like. It's hard the- not to like her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The one thing I like in the remake is that, um, and I don't know if this was done in, or this poem was made after the initial film. Okay. Uh, uh, let's see here. Oh, no, it, it yeah, it was made a long, a long time ago, it looks like. Yeah, so... Sabrina Fair is a poem by John Milton. Oh. Um, yeah. So they don't mention it in the original film, you know, because they were writing the script as they were filming it. Um, <laughs> What's but, the name of that poem? I don't know. We don't have time to look it up. <laughs> Come on. No, but uh, the they mention it in the remake. Uh Harrison Ford is lying. Is asked Julia Armand as Sabrina, like, oh, where'd you get your name? Like, how'd you get your name? She says it's from a poem, Sabrina Fair, uh, and which is by John Milton. And the poem she gives the first, you know, stanza, which is Sabrina Fair, listen where thou art sitting, under the glassy, cool, translucent wave, and twisted braids of lilies knitting, the loose train of thy amber dropping hair. Listen for dear honor's sake, goddess of the silver lake. Listen and save. So it's about this water nymph, Sabrina Fair, who, you know, lives in the water and saves those, you know, who Hmm. get lost in the water, gets lost in the wave. And so the whole idea of the remake is that, you know, Linus talks about how he needs her. You know, he, he realizes he's in love with her and there's a, you know, a chase scene where he gets in an airplane and and flies to Paris. He doesn't meet her on the actual plane or boat like in this film, in the original. But in the remake, he meets her at her new apartment that she has from the whole thing. And he says, you know, Sabrina Fair, I need you sort of thing. Um, and so they kind of play off of that in the remake, which I thought was done well. Fortunately, it was done by Harrison Ford, and I just kept thinking, give me back my son. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) um, And so I just, but I think that just adds a nice context to, you know, their relationship and just kind of the idea of Sabrina as a character, where she was just this, you know, as a, a water nymph sort of thought, where it's just like she's this young sprite effervescent being who 
in some ways knows so much more and in other ways can be shown so much more. And yeah, I just, yeah, I thought that, that was like, as a character, it was written well. And so Audrey Hepburn had a lot to play with and used all of that. I thought in her performance. She did. She really did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, we talked about the kiss. Um, we did. I, I mean, I don't really have a what happens after ever after, but we could replace that with like, what did you think of the the end scene on the on the boat? I thought it was cute. I thought it was well done. That there were a couple really well shot scenes. I noticed, like, um, like watching him run out of his office to go to the boat. And then you see like all the secretaries lean back in their chairs and look, look out after him as he's running away. Like yeah. the cameras just pan down the corridor, like great yeah. angle, great shot. I thought the scene on the boat was great. It was cute. I, like you didn't need any dialogue. She just gets up I and looks for him. Yeah, I thought the same thing with the the office. How it was, how it was designed. Because like when she leaves him. And says, I'm sorry, I can't stay to do the dishes. Goodbye, Mr. Larrabee. When he finally tells her what the plan is and she says she'll leave. So that whole thing where she's hurt and she leaves, she leaves through the two doors. And then how they turned the camera angle and shows her coming out the second door mm-hmm. and then shows him at the desk looking a bit kind of in a fuzzy. Yeah. And like, I thought that that was a really nice, nicely done shot as well. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah, there yeah, were a few good I, ones. I, yeah, I mean, Billy Wilder is a was a seasoned vet at this time, and she yeah, knew what the well, it shows, was. it shows. Yeah, and the boat scene is another good example of that. I yeah, I didn't like that it just ended with a hug and that and that was it. Like, mm-hmm. but that's that's also kind of a sign of the times. Like that's yeah. that's kind of how movies were back then. So, um, you know, I I wrote it off as that, but. You know, yeah. after after sitting through a movie for almost two hours, I kind of want a little bit better resolution than that. But yeah, as, it, aside from that, it was a great scene. Yeah, I I know what you mean. I mean, they played the little you know comedy of you don't have an umbrella in Paris, and so he puts the umbrella on the guy's coat. I did like that. By. Yeah. Um, you know, and the fact that she fixes his hat, and that's how he kind of signifies that he's there, sort of yep. thing. Yep. That's you know that was all done well and good. Um, I feel like, uh, you know, I I know what you read about the embrace, and that's just kind of how we as a you know just modern film watchers are used to it. Um, although at the same time, the remake of Sabrina goes heavy with that, where there's a kiss between Sabrina and Linus in that film, mm-hmm. and then when the credits play they're in a completely different part of Paris, like with a fountain behind them, just make it out heavy while the credits are rolling over them. And it's a slow zoom out. And I'm just like, that's a bit much. Like, like, I I don't need, I don't need to see Harrison Ford doing this like odd, like, and then it's like, and it's obviously like film kissing. Like these are two people who were obviously like, probably in relationships in real life and try not to go too heavy with it. So it's like Phil making out and she's like, ah, no, yeah. I don't like any of this. There's <laughs> a just thin like, line between cute and gross. Yeah. And so that's why I was just like, I, I was okay. 
I'm okay with the hug now. When I first watched this film and the first few times I watched it, I was a little disappointed by it. But then when I thought about it and as I've watched it further, I've been okay with it. So basically what you're saying is you have to watch the remake to appreciate certain qualities of this one. Yeah. The remake, <laughs> the remake adds a lot more dialogue. So it says a lot more. And there's a couple added scenes where, you know, so they make it a little bit more clear but at the same time. Guess how much longer it is. Oh God. It's longer. 16 minutes longer. Why? Because they're added so much like dialogue and little bits here, little bits there. They took away the dad character. It's just a single mother who runs Larrabee with Harrison Ford. The dad has passed away. Okay. Um, and then David has, you know, gone through business school and law school. He just doesn't commit to things. So they kind of give David a little bit more of a character to play. And he falls in love with a, ch- a children's doctor played by Holly Hunter who ends up being of the Tyson uh, fortunes, which Tyson in this, in the remake has this unbreakable plastic that's used for a TV. And it's considered like the new hotness on the market that everyone knows about. So Linus immediately wants to get a merger going. And he thinks that's going to be easy to do with, you know, family happening. So, and then that's just going to lead to much more film or much more money and shit. So, it's it's a little bit clearer, but also by the time the resolution occurs, you're just like, fuck, I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> I am done. Um, and I don't think it was because I watched it back to back because I, I paused it with the half hour left and I watched the final half hour the next day. I mean, um, even even this movie, I usually have to with older movies anyway, but like even this movie, I had to pause a couple times and like, get up and walk around and like go do something. There was actually a time where as much as I did love Audrey Hepburn, her character bothered me a couple times. And there was <laughs> at one point where I had to get up and like pause it and be like, Oh, for fuck's sake. And I just walked away. <laughs> <laughs> well, and... break that down a little bit. What? Break that down a little bit. Well, I, I'm trying to remember what scene it actually was. But I, it would be a lot more helpful if I'd written it that down. But um, it, it was just uh, now that you've pointed it out a little differently, it makes more sense that she was she was kind of going between the two because she's obviously conflicted, um, and then certain actions that she was that she was doing with David, for example, were more so to confirm how she felt or maybe try to convince herself that, you know, David is the one that she needs to be with that kind of thing. So that makes more sense now, but I think that's actually a lot that bothered me about her was that like, I get that she was going back and forth between the two guys because she was conflicted, but it was, it was, a little annoying like like you said where they don't explain a lot of it and so you're just having to like sit here and watch and like go Mm -hmm. along for the ride where it's like she's constantly going back and forth back and forth between these two guys and from my point of view it seemed like she couldn't make up her mind but now that you pointed out that a lot of the stuff that she did with david was mostly to kind of either confirm how she felt or convince herself 
that she wanted to be with David. That makes a lot more sense. But I didn't see it that way while I was watching it. And so it was like, oh, my God. Like, I had to pause it at, at one point where it was just like, make up your goddamn mind. Like, enough of this shit. She, she seemed so flaky where it was like, David would be, you know, like, pining for her one moment. And then it's like, literally, he's out of the frame. And Linus is in the frame. And suddenly, she's enamored with him now. And it's like, oh, for fuck's sake. Like... How am I supposed to be convinced that any of these relationships can work? <laughs> but with the context that you put it in, that helps. But um, that that was the one little problem I had with it. Was that it was a little... It was difficult to watch that stuff. And then by the end, like without a real resolution, like I said earlier, it just... Like I, I wasn't... like. Linus runs off to go meet up with her. And I'm just like, well, about time. One of you did it. Like at this point, I don't fucking care. Let's just do somebody do something like stop talking about it. Mm-hmm. You know, like just, and I mean, another sign of the times is they, they talked about her a lot as if she was like an object, you know, like a, <laughs> Yeah. Either either she was a prize to be won or she was a common lamp. That... She was treated by, like, by her father, the chauffeur, which we haven't yes. talked about. Yeah. Which, like I said, I get as a sign of the times, but like, oh my god, that that made it like a little more difficult to watch this shit. Like, like I don't want any of you guys to end up together. Like, fuck you. You haven't earned it. <laughs> yeah. But, um, so, I mean, yeah. I... I uh... Oh, there was a. Oh, I was gonna say something. I totally forgot it. God Sorry, I can't even remember the scene that I paused at. So you're fine. <laughs> no, I, uh, no uh, I can remember it. I can remember it. I can remember it. No, I can't. <laughs> it's okay. It it may come back to you. It may come back to you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, is there anything, any other final thoughts you had on the movie? No. Oh, that's what it was. I, as far as like, yeah, the bits that I mentioned about the acts, like how, oh, like first a play. Time, well, no, um, like how they show that they love each other through their actions. Oh, the end, oh, oh, oh. Instead of actually saying it in the script, I mentioned how. Sabrina meant or proves that she's in love with Linus by taking the Paris ticket after finding out the whole plan and deciding she wants to go to Paris instead of be with David. She could just be like, fuck you. I'm in love with David. I'm going to be with David or, you know, Linus proving that he's in love with Sabrina by like fucking up the whole deal and sending David along with Sabrina. Like that's how he proves that he cares about her and loves her. And David realizes it by, and you know, proves that he wants them to be together and by being the like taking over the fucking company so that they can be together as a couple like it's all done through actions and what helped me figure that out this watching because it was this time that i watched it where i noticed those things Mm -hmm. i had not noticed it before and it's from the proposal it is Two episodes ago, remember 
in the proposal, they mention how when she gives herself up to immigration, Betty White and Mary Steenberg say it, that's how she said that's how she proves she loved. Oh uh, yeah, and like they fucking got it, and Craig T. Nelson was lost, and it's just like oh, 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 through actions, <laughs> like that. That's what women are talking about. Oh, actions. Um, like so, and so it's just like so. No, having that in the back of my mind, I using that knowledge, it allowed me to see this film differently this time. And I thought that that was a yeah, really interesting way. Actions can too easily go unnoticed. Man, fuck that. No, just be obvious and blunt and straightforward and upfront with your shit. See, <laughs> I agree with you on that. Um, and as I open my fourth white club. At a kid. It's time to give a verdict. What flavor first? Uh, I just finished mango. It was quite tasty. Yeah? Yes. Better than watermelon? No. I, it, it's number two behind okay. watermelon. Okay. Okay. What do you want and to do now? We're going to tangerine. Okay. Tangerine. <laughs> Which is a solid number three. It's still not bad. And it's better than lemon. And lemon's not horrible because it tastes like kind of like Sprite. But tangerine's number three. At least lemon doesn't taste like, <laughs> like lemon <acid>. pledge. <laughs> Tangerine, baby. How, wait, don't they already have an orange flavored one? You. Uh, no, tangerine's the closest. Oh. Um, grapefruit from the, oh, yeah. The first ones. First. Yeah, the first ones. I honestly don't like the... Grapefruit, lime, black cherry, and what... Ooh, uh, passion fruit. Passion fruit. Why the fuck passion fruit? I don't know. I always wondered that too. Black well, cherry is easily the best, but nonetheless, we'll move on to the verdict here. As we've given our verdict on white claws here for you, and now we'll go ahead and give a verdict on the movie. But before we do that, wanted to update something that we talked about in episode eight, the wedding date, which if you haven't listened to. Uh, I re-listened to the whole hour and 55 minute, 56 second episode just for fun. And I laughed my ass off. So what was episode eight? The wedding date. Oh, that was a good one. Yeah, we uh, we talked about the zip tie game and that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck. Okay. We also, we also talked about uh, Katie and Brandon's wedding, which was about a year ago. It's oh, yeah. Out. So, uh, yeah, great times. God damn uh, but the amount of embarrassing stories I've had on this podcast, <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. But we also talked about our running tally of Mary fuck kills. Ooh, in the, in the, and so I've, I decided to update that with the latest 20 episodes it took a bit, but I think I have a good memory slash, you know, was able to find the ones I wasn't sure about. You, you Did you total it up? I, and I have it in my hand. All right. We'll start with number one. We'll, we'll go through it real quick. Oh, we're going to go through the whole list? Yes, of course. Um, so episode one, Hitch. I fucked it. Max married it. 
for episode two, Love Actually, we both married it. Okay. So three, Just Friends. I fucked it. Max married it. Damn right. Episode four, When Harry Met Sally, we both married it. Of course. Episode five, Notting Hill. I fucked it and Max killed it. (laughs) So I went from four straight Marys to just straight kill. Yes. And then in episode six, we went forgetting Sarah Marshall. I fucked it and Max married it. I married that one? Yes, you did. Inside you. It's a solid movie. (laughs) Um. Episode 7, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. We both fucked it. Okay. Episode 8, The Wedding Date. I married Wait, it. Wait, so the 7th one was my first fuck? Yes. Oh my god. <laughs> I was just all over the spectrum before that. Yeah. Uh, episode 8, The Wedding Date. I married it. You fucked it. Okay. Then in episode 9, Valentine's Day, we both ended up fucking it. Although, I mentioned how close I was to killing it. I think we both teetered on killing it, too. We both teetered on killing it, but there were, there's such a, a depth of stories as far as, like, so many stories to choose from, they could choose one that you liked. Yeah. It was kind of like a soap opera, where it's just like, if you watch for one storyline, that storyline will be on at some point, you'll enjoy it, sort of thing. Um, and then episode 10, 10 Things I Hate About You. I killed it. That was my first kill. Damn. And you married it. Damn right. And then, episode 11, and then episode 11, which was Leap Year, I oh, married yeah. it and you killed it. Oh, <laughs> so I, I'd push it off that sunset covered cliff any day. And I'll go to that cliff at any time I fucking choose because I love it. <laughs> uh, episode 12 it happened one night. We both fucked it. Uh, episode 13, No Strings Attached. We both married it. Yeah, that that was actually pretty surprising. I I love Liz Merriweather. I fucking, like, I watched both seasons of Single Parents because I love Liz Merriweather so much. And she just produced that show. She didn't fucking, like, write on it directly. So Solid movie, too. It's a solid movie. Um, I've watched it again since the recording of that podcast, so. Yeah, it's... Uh, I've added it to my uh, it, DVD collection. Nice. Yeah. I'll be real, it's one of the lesser Marys for me, but it's still a Mary. Yeah. I, I don't regret it. Um, episode 14, it's spiritual, uh, like, sibling, uh, friends with benefits. We both fucked with that movie. Yep. I don't know. Why people think that's better, I will never understand. I don't either. Uh, episode 15, Bull Durham. We both fucked that movie. I'm actually kind of impressed I didn't kill it. <laughs> well, because baseball. True. Very true. The baseball scenes are so good, and I miss baseball. God, I do too. Yeah, actually, you're right. The The whole, like... Meeting on the mound scene is fucking hilarious. Meeting on the mound, the the rain delay. Like I can get us a rain delay. (laughs) (laughs) That's a classic scene. Uh, Episode sixteen: Crazy, stupid love. I killed it. You ended up on fuck, but you almost married it. 
No, I didn't. You almost married it. No, I didn't. There's no way I almost married Crazy Stupid Love. Yes, you almost married it. I you said you were bordering on Mary, and then you ended up that you were going to stick with fuck. Was I, like, trash that night? I I hate I that know. movie. I'm pretty sure you said that you are going to almost marry it. I don't know about that, but all right. Jesus. You can listen back. I'm pretty sure you said oh, it. I didn't listen to that exact moment. What was I on? Fuck. Uh, and then episode 17, Dan in Real Life. I married it. You fucked it. You almost killed it. Um, but you decided to fuck it. Okay. And then we went to our Meg Ryan Tom Hanks doubleheader. Um, so Sleepless in Seattle. Uh, I barely fucked it. Uh, episode 18. Um, I barely fucked it. You decided to marry it. I barely married it, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Yeah, and then episode 19, you've got mail. Uh, we both fucked it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then episode episode 420, bro. Um, mm-hmm. Harold and Kumar go to White Castle. I married it. You killed it. Yep. <laughs> episode 21, a lot like love. I fucked it. You married it. Hell um, yes. God, I love that movie. Yeah, I barely fucked that one just for a few certain scenes, but it's, oh, I, love that movie. I wasn't a huge fan of that one um, on my latest rewatch. Episode 22, Sweet Home Alabama, uh, with Matt as well. Uh, Matt and I both married it. You fucked it. Yep. Uh, episode 23, 13 going on 30. I killed it. It's the most easy kill I've made so far. It's the worst movie we've reviewed so far. <laughs> um, and you decided to fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> give it a shot <laughs> episode 24 set it up you both fucked it uh, episode 25 definitely maybe you both fucked it episode 26 the proposal we both fucked it and then episode 27 the miscongeniality i fucked it you married it great fucking movie so for this best episode, rom-com on the list <laughs> shut up that's <laughs> uh, for episode 28 sabrina i'm gonna and my streak of fucks. I'm gonna marry this film. It's been four straight movies that I fucked. This one is a married. Look movie. at you locking down the commitment. Yeah, I I owed it for a reason. I've watched it as many times as I have for a reason. I just love this film. So there's a reason I chose it, and I wanted to. There are a couple reasons I wanted to go back to an older film, and you know, let everyone know we still we still recognize older films up in this bitch. Yep, yep. And also, I love this shit. <laughs> I must be on white white cloth work because I'm just like fucking yeah. Let it be known that when it comes to Sabrina, I'll bout that shit. All right. Oh man! I yell with my window open. Anyway, <laughs> people walking by are just like he is all about Sabrina. Man, he loves that girl. God. So. <laughs> Somebody just turns to their significant other and just goes, see what love does to people? Yeah, why'd you feel that way about me? (laughs) When was the last time I heard you talk like that about me? (laughs) All right. Well, you don't rip my heart out like Sabrina clearly did to him. (laughs) Um, I would... I would fuck it. There's a lot of reasons... 
I don't like it, but there's a lot of reasons to watch it. And there's like all we talked about: good jokes, good acting. Um, yeah. There's some solid stuff to it, and it's 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 a quality film from that era too. I think so. I agree. Plus, I mean, Audrey Hepburn, man. Like, need I say more? She's top notch. Top notch. Yeah. All right. Well, you can find our socials. Uh, Our Instagram is Bromancing the Stone Podcast. All together there. Bromancing the Stone Podcast. Our Twitter is Bro the Stone Pod. That's B R O T H E S T O N E P O D. Uh, and then you can find me on Twitter at Supermarket Sweep without the E in Super. So S U P R Market Sweep. Uh, and then my Instagram is Relusa88, and that's R E L U S A 88. And then Max. On Instagram, you can find me at the Lionhearted, T H E period L Y O N H E A R T E D. Perfecto. And so it is your turn to choose a movie. As we come up to the middle of June. Mm-hmm. And have you made a decision? Um, I have not. <laughs> <laughs> I've been looking at the list for like 10 minutes. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm debating. It's, I'm debating on I'm gonna, eras. I'm going to be honest. I'm a little shocked that you haven't made a decision. Why? You think there's an obvious choice somewhere? Well... Yeah, I I thought it was going to be right around this time that you're going to pull the trigger because of like a year ago, uh, a year ago, or because like this gonna, this episode that you're choosing right now is going to come out June 19th. Well, hang on one second. Okay. Uh, when, when was, damn, I put away the invitation. When was, when did we go to Katie's wedding? It was June 23rd. June 23rd, really? Yeah. And when does this come out? The your episode that you're choosing right now comes out June nineteenth. Hmm. 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 So what you're saying is it's wedding season, baby! You sandbagging son of a bitch. Let's <laughs> fucking do it. Ah, uh, yeah. Let's go. It's finally that time, everyone. It is time to watch Wedding Crashers. <laughs> this is going to be a fun episode. This is going to be uh, fucking amazing. I've been looking forward to this one for a while. Uh, um, so we'll be watching Wedding Crashers next week. Mark your calendars. Be it's sure to watch the unrated version. Yes, we will be watching the unrated version. We both have that on DVD. So that is what we'll it be is, watching. It is better. Uh, it's longer. It's longer. Um, so. <laughs> 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 oh, my God. Oh, it's going to be a fun one. Yes, it will. So until then, for the tens and tens of listeners, we love y'all and we thank y'all for listening. And we will catch you next week. Have a great rest of the week, night, thing. Yes. (laughs) Love you guys.